Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 023, podcast 23, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. And believe me, it's getting crazier all the time. So join us now over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of a complex issue that confronts our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. As always, at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. All right, yeah, let's get started. So you promised us last week that we're going to get into this new series on identity, um, specifically sexual identity, and um, address some of the issues that are facing society. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Keith? Well, here's the deal. I want to talk about identity and our sexuality, because our identity and our sexuality, they're sacred. They're gifts from God. Today, we're going to sort of jump into the deep end with what you would normally think would not be an introductory discussion, but I think it sets the table for the larger discussion. Today's topic is going to be controversial in some sense as we begin this series of discussions with a discussion of transgender issues and the whole transgender topic. And this is just an introductory talk today. And I suppose such a discussion could not be more timely since President Joe Biden has written an executive order decreeing men who identify as women can compete against biological women in high school and college sports. In fact, here's an excerpt from the UK Guardian, a newspaper in the United Kingdom. And it reads like this. Joe Biden's first day in office delivered an incremental victory for transgender athletes seeking to participate as their identified gender in high school and college sports. Among the flurry of executive orders signed on Wednesday, Biden called on all federal agencies to enforce a Supreme Court decision from last year that expanded the definition of sex discrimination to include discrimination based on sexual orientation as well as gender identity with language that explicitly referenced the arena of high school and college sports. The order which calls for a broader application of Donald Trump's appointed justice Neil Gorsuch's majority opinion last year in Bostock versus Clayton, mandates that every agency must act to ensure enforcement of this new rule within 100 days of January the 20th. Now, some are calling this the death of women's sports because biological men who now identify as women are physically faster and stronger than biological women. Their skeletal structure and muscle thickness coupled with testosterone gives them a decided advantage. And while such biological males may not be as competitive against other biological males, when they enter into a women's competition, they typically have a pronounced physical advantage over biological females. We've seen this particularly true in biological males compete, compete against biological females as transgendered women in the arena of track and field and powerlifting. There's also been some incidents of this in the mixed martial arts world, and the results were, shall we say, not surprising. So what do you think all this holds for uh, things like the Olympics and some of the broader things even in our... Well, you know, the Olympics and all the Olympic committees are pretty woke these days. So I think you're going to see this become disastrous over time for the Olympics and for international competition. And the larger question, as you pointed out, Mark, is what does this mean for society? What does it mean for the church? Well, Joe Biden has promised to uh, use this type of uh, transgender issue to strip churches of uh, their tax-exempt status. He promised this before the election. I'm sure he'll enforce that. But in the meantime, we're being told to accept 
the idea that someone can change their gender, this is going to sound very uncharitable, but on a whim. I mean, think about it. We're being told, and it's the case here in California already, that if a child or a young adult feels that he is a female one day, he is to be treated as one. The same is true of a woman who decides she feels like a man. Whatever happens, whatever their decision is, here in California, they are to be given access to locker rooms and other facilities based on their newly acquired or self-determined gender identity, regardless of their biological uh, gender. They, this is a self-determined rather than medical decision. And so they're basically saying you can be whatever gender you want to be, regardless of your physical appearance. You know, Keith, you keep using this term. Uh, biological gender, uh, the way that it's supposed to be described today is your biological sex. Yeah, I understand what they've tried to do these days is to create an artificial distinction, a distinction that has never existed in the past between sex and gender. These days in popular culture, I get it that uh, sex and gender are seen differently, but, you know, the culture says a lot of things that aren't true and a lot of things that aren't right, like abortion on demand is a good thing, even up until the birth. Admittedly, the culture has sought to redefine gender and sex just like it has racism. The problem is, and I think if we're honest, deep down inside, most people just don't buy all of this, although they remain silent in order to uh, avoid the... Uh, woke mobs, but gender and sex are one and the same, and redefining these terms is simply a recent innovation. And nowadays, of course, they're trying to alter dictionary definitions and things like this, but just go back to a, a dictionary that's over five years old. You know, the Germans redefined the language, too, in the 1930s. We know how that turned out. And I know that this is a hot-button issue, so let's take a moment and just kind of catch our breath and back away and look at it from a different perspective. Let's step out of the gender side of the equation for a moment and just talk about identity for a moment. Does the name Rachel Dolezal sound familiar to you, Mark? Uh, yeah, I think so. She was, didn't she get in trouble for having, uh, identifying her race differently or something? Well, many know Rachel Dolezal as a black civil rights activist. She was a college professor and she was president of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. She was also on the oversight board for the police department she was an instructor in Africana Studies at Eastern Washington University, but then there was a problem. Here's what Wikipedia says about her. Rachel Dolezal was president of the NAACP chapter in Spokane, Washington from 2014 until 2015 when she resigned in the midst of a controversy over her racial identity. She received public scrutiny when her white parents publicly stated that she was passing as black. In the aftermath of the controversy, Dolezal was dismissed from her position as an instructor in Africana Studies and was removed from her post as chair of the police department's Omnibudsman Commission. In 2015, Dolezal acknowledged that she was born white to white parents, but maintained that she self-identified as black. Dolezal and her defenders asserted that her self-identification is genuine. So, just so I know I'm getting it right, she was born in white to the white race caucasian white parents all of those things but she identifies as black that's it she it's like she's saying that her race assigned at birth was white many people do that today with their gender they they act as if that the gender they were assigned was arbitrary and she in the same way said that her race assigned at birth was white, but as she grew older, she was uncomfortable with this, feeling more and more at home with blackness. So given today's climate 
And given today's uh, redefinition of things, who is to say that she isn't black according to current standards? She would say and has said in interviews that she identifies as a person of color trapped in a white woman's body. Well, yeah, I mean, in the Wikipedia article, it reads that the Dolezal controversy fueled a national debate in the United States about racial identity. Dolezal's critics stated that she committed cultural appropriation fraud. Yeah, that's exactly what it says, Mark. So let me ask you the question. How is that different from claiming a different gender? How, how is it that she was accused of fraud and cultural appropriation and deception when she self-identified as a black woman in the same way that a man may now self-identify as a woman or a woman as a man? Genetically, physically, anatomically, a male, a biological man, a biological male decides he is in fact a female trapped in a man's body, so he identifies as a woman, and we are told that we have to accept that self-identification. He states, as Rachel Dolezal stated, that his gender assignment at birth is in fact not his gender, just like she said that her gender assignment at birth was not her gender. She was born as a white person, but identifies as a black person. In the same way, this man might insist he's female, a woman, and under today's societal and medical metrics, it must be so. And today, many in society, at least publicly, are willing to accept this person as another gender. In Rachel Dolezal's case, she was accused of cultural appropriation and fraud. How? How is that possible? Well, I think it's a, a little bit different because you're talking about her genetic racial makeup versus her sexual identity. Well, let's think about that. Your genetic male makeup with your chromosomes, your and, and the way that your body presents itself uh, anatomically would be the same way as uh, Rachel Dolezal. Her body presented her as white, and she claims to be black. There, there's no difference. She feels like a black person. She identifies as a black person in the same way that that should, as it does not transgendered people, make her a black person. Okay, so I see how you're... You're you're looking at those two issues and saying, well, both our genetic representation of who we are should identify us with who we are. But where do you tie all this stuff in um, transgenderism? How do you, how are you putting these two things? Because they're exactly the same. She's born a white woman and she decides she's a black woman. Somebody's born a man and decides he's a woman. Somebody's born a woman and decides she's a man. It's the same. It's the same standard. However, in her case, they applied it differently because it doesn't fit in with, you know, critical race theory, perhaps, and wokeness today. You see, today we're living in a uh, postmodern age where many propose that there is no such thing as objective truth or objective reality. Uh, objectivity is supposed to be racist now. And so, whereas many today are accused of ignoring science, how many times do you hear that so-and-so is ignoring the science, the science is ignored, and a person can walk into a doctor's office or a school and reassign their sex, and it must be accepted as fact. Do you mean their gender? You know, Mark, you keep saying that, <laughs> and I know you're kind of giving me a hard time, but gender and sex are the same thing. And the problem is, just wishing things were different doesn't make it so. And where does it end? Because feelings can change. Facts don't. Somebody once wiser than I said, facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. That was John Adams. And the evidence, the science, no longer supports the notion that this whole transgender thing is factual or that gender assignment, reassignment surgery, they now call it gender affirmation surgery, makes things better. That taking, that transitioning a woman to a man surgically, in fact, improves her mental health, improves her 
attitude toward life improves the quality of her life. In fact, uh, some of the most prestigious hospitals that used to perform these surgeries in Europe and the United States now refuse to do so. Originally, they thought this surgery would help with suicide rates or drug abuse and things like that, but just the opposite has happened. Let me read an article from a medical journal. It's it's entitled, The Long-Term Follow-Up on Transsexual Persons Undergoing Sex Reassignment Surgery, Cohort Study in Sweden. And it says this, Persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably higher risks for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. Our findings suggest that sex reassignment, although alleviating gender dysphoria, may not suffice as treatment for transsexualism. They're being very cautious here, but the the truth is that after the surgery, suicide rates went up. Why is that? Well, these surgeries were supposed to help the mental health of the patients, so gender reassignment, retitled gender affirmation procedures, and that sounds Orwellian, doesn't it, only make the problem worse. Okay, so where are you headed with this, Keith? Well, it's like this. These individuals find out the hard way that deep down, all the cosmetic surgery in the world will not solve their real problems. You see, there's a hole in their soul that only God can fill. It can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Gender reassignment surgery, transgenderism, is not a mental illness, as the uh, American Psychiatric Association used to say. It's a spiritual problem, like addiction. It's a moral issue. And when you find yourself at cross purposes with God, it's never good. There is no peace. The Bible says the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, is death. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so ignoring one's spiritual problems doesn't make them go away. And trying to change one's identity, just like some people have problems and try to move to a different town, doesn't change anything. You know who you are. People know who they are. And all this gender confusion... And, and all these so-called medical solutions don't change a thing. It's the same with this transgender issue that every doctor, every high school counselor, every educator is mandated to affirm. But the victims, the students, know better. We all know better. God has wired it in us. God has made it plain to us by all he has made. He has put eternity in the human heart. What does it say in Romans? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, and that includes human beings, so that they, people, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Changing your gender doesn't solve your problems. Pretending to be someone else, whether you're a white person pretending to be a black person or a man pretending to be a woman, doesn't make things better. Our sexuality, our identity, are sacred gifts from God given to us. They're not some random thing that happens. Pretending God made some kind of cosmic mistake and that you know better than God who or what you are and why you are here is a colossal mistake and you're playing games with gender assignment surgery or gender assignment procedures only compounds your problems. You know, pretending differently is like the children's book, The Emperor's New Clothes, which is still on sale at Amazon, by the way, online, where people ignore the obvious truth that a king has been bamboozled by con men and that everyone plays along not wanting to appear stupid until a child calls it as he sees it and the king and everyone are embarrassed. It's an old, old story. It's a children's story. Well, like that, the tragedy here is that the consequences of sin are playing out in front of us 
and we're pretending otherwise. But the consequences of sin are greater than mere embarrassment. Young women and young men are being mutilated in the name of a lie, and their suicide rates are increasing as a result. As are their proclivity towards drug abuse and addiction, these morbidities are discussed in the Swedish study. I'll put a link to that on the resource page. What does the Bible tell us? We're made in God's image and likeness. We're not here randomly. God has raised us up for such a time as this. God has made us male and female, not the 58 genders like we see on Facebook. We read this in the Old Testament, we read this in the teachings of Jesus, and we read this in the writings of Paul. Christians know this, and yet today a child can walk into a counselor's office in the L.A. Unified School District, claim to be trans, and under the right circumstances gain access to male hormones and begin transition through nothing short of self-diagnosis. This ought not to be. And they can do this sometimes without parental involvement. I cannot overemphasize this enough. Your sexuality, your identity is a sacred gift from God. And so as we begin this new season of episodes, we're going to be digging down deeper into this topic, sexuality and identity. These things are sacred. It, uh, it seems like you're already jumping in there. Well, I know it seems that way, but I wanted to introduce this series by touching on this topic, which is a hot topic today. It's in the news. And so I wanted to employ this discussion to set the table for future discussions. And so if you're listening to us for the first time, bear with us. We do not take this lightly, and we're going to work our way through this. Because things are not often as you feel they are. Feelings change. Facts don't. I'm reminded that in the Proverbs we're told that there is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but its end is the way of death. And I think the transgender issue today is a near-perfect example of this, and we'll get more into this next time. But in the meantime, let me leave you with these thoughts from Jesus on so many genders and on our identity and on our sexuality. And it's in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What we see here is from the beginning, there are two genders two sexes, male and female, man and woman. God's original design for human sexuality, for marriage, is perfect. And what he has joined together, what he has formed, what he has made, let us not tamper with it because it's outside of the will of God and ignoring God's will is always harmful. You know, Mark, I think we've done enough today to kind of set the table a little bit and uh, I think we're at a stopping point. And my hope is if you're listening and you're offended that you'll give us the benefit of the doubt and hear us out. But as it is, that's it for today. Stay with us for our next episode. And if you'd like further resources, visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. There'll be links to articles and additional information. If you'd like to ask me a question, I'd love to hear from you. I try to answer emails within 24 hours. You can email me at keith, K-E-I-T-H, at hillside.org. You can learn more about Hillside Church at www.hillside.org forward slash services if you'd like to watch our worship services online or you can join us in person. And before we go, if you're listening to uh, Spotify or Amazon Music or uh, Google Podcast or Apple Podcast, give us a five-star rating and share us with your friends. We would like to reach other people and we'd like to expand our audience in the cause of Christ. Now, we release this podcast on Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler, Out of My Mind. God bless you and keep you.